Welcome to the Fully Restored Podcast. Christians often struggle to talk about areas of deep hurt like trauma or abuse, shame or betrayal. These are deep soul wounds. Friend, Christ came to not only heal us from our sin, but from our soul wounds as well. My name is Kristen Klaus and I'm a licensed professional counselor and author. And my guest and I are here to walk with you on your healing journey. We see you and hear you. Friend, if you hang with me, apply these truths to your life, you will be on your own path to a fully restored story. Grab your coffee, tea, or favorite drink, and let's get started. Hi friend, Kristen Klaus here. I have a powerful new course that is launching October 25th. This course is for women who are looking for healing from all types of abuse. Fully Restored from Abuse is a 12-week online course filled with so much information and goodness where we will dig into the root of the hurt and pain from abuse in a Christ-centered way. As a licensed professional clinical counselor, trauma coach, and one who has been healed herself from abuse, your life will be transformed from this course. If you are saying to yourself, I'm ready to be healed, I know there are soul wounds in my life from past abuse, I know I wasn't just hurt physically, but emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. If you are saying, yes, it's time, Kristen. I want to be healed. I want my life to be fully restored. Then go ahead, friend, and click the link found in the show notes for this episode. Now back to our show. Hi, everyone. This is Kristen Clausen. You're listening to the Fully Restored Podcast. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Brenda Seafelt Amodea. Brenda's story is one of love, heartache, commitment, grace, and then more love. Love isn't always easy. In fact, friends, I've experienced loving someone in the middle of their destructiveness and seeing God do powerful things in their lives. My job was to love. God's job was to restore. But being in the middle of it, it's hard. However, as God told me many years ago, love always wins. And today, You're going to hear Brenda's story of love, friendship, forgiveness, and how to love others when they're struggling. Welcome to the Fully Restored Podcast, Brenda. Hi, Kristen. Really glad to be here and and share my story and see where this conversation leads. Absolutely. So before we jump into the conversation, I always like to start, if we can, with some fun facts. So fun fact number one, you are in year 40 of being a youth pastor, although during COVID, you became the pastor who still works with teens. True fact. Okay. (laughs) I'm still like, can't believe this is where it is. But when you follow God, you just, next step is here, right? So I was at one church for 25 years as a youth pastor, and then I moved over to a church plant. And that didn't survive, but I took our remnant and here we are doing something very different. Mm, That's wonderful. And another fun fact, your husband and you own a paintball media company and your husband, John, is a former professional paintball player and that you know more about paintballing than you ever wish to know. (laughs) Yes. I, I still can't believe I know as much as I do. We, we do these documentaries for paintball, and I am I'm actually one of the writers. That is just something I don't even know how got here other than love. <laughs> other than the love. There's a theme in your life, and it is love, right? Yes, we are a team. <laughs> Absolutely. 
So Brenda, briefly tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. Well, like I said, my heart is for teens. I've, you know, youth ministry for 40 years, and then I'm this pastor right now. And then along the way here, I met John. We've been married now for 24 years. And together we have raised four boys who are, who are now men that we did not give birth to. And that's probably the favorite part of my story. And now we also have five grandchildren and I'm going to have my sixth one in October. And that's, if you're in that grandparent uh, stage, holy cow, is this a joyful stage? But we had to get to this point, but, and that's a whole story. We probably will travel into. And then I'm a writer and I write all about the story and about teenagers. And I wrote a book called, I Wish I Could Take Away Your Pain. Okay. So grandchildren are the best. I have five grandchildren. We had two babies that were born this summer. They are the absolute best having all five of them. I just wish COVID was not here so we could all be together, which everybody is wishing that. But being a grandparent and being a parent are pretty amazing things. And I love that you and your husband have been married 24 years and that you have been one of those long-term youth pastors because we need great youth pastors to minister to our kids. So that's awesome. So Brenda, could you share with us about your struggle with infertility? For me, it was, it was just never a struggle for me. I just knew when I was young, I just wouldn't have children. I really felt that God was preparing me for that. Then in my mid-20s, the pain started, and it took me forever to be diagnosed. It was a lot of pain. It was a whole other sad story. But when I was 31, I was still not married. The doctor, who just had finished a very complex surgery, just came in and told me that you're probably never going to have children. And I'm, you know, again, I'm not married. And she's waiting for me to you know, have this disaster moment on her, her table there. And I just looked at her, and I said, God just always told me. So this has never been a sad part of my story. I had, oh, how many years? I, I've lost count. The pain of what I suffered takes away any of the sadness of it. I was just had lived in a lot of pain until I finally got a hysterectomy at 45. That changed my life. So again, that's another unusual story because hysterectomies can be sad. And this one was actually changed my life. <laughs> I've been pain-free now for 13 years, actually coming up on September 15th. I remember that date because it did change my life so much. So it was more not infertility and more I just lived with constant pain for so long. And there are a lot of women that can relate to that, that have lived with constant pain. And I'm surprised actually at 31 that they didn't give you the option of a hysterectomy. I know. I would have jumped at it, but I think, I don't know. <laughs> a lot of hindsight doctoring here that was a lot of mystery and why it took so long to, to diagnose me. And, but yeah, that would have been, I would have been nice in hindsight, other than, you know, hysterectomies do do a number on your body and you, there's other bonuses or negatives that come with how yeah. your body reacts post hysterectomy, yeah. which, but those have been way better than the actual pain I was living in. So I mm -hmm. love my hysterectomy. I wish I had a whole body. I've just have never had that. So I yeah. don't, I don't know full stories of women. I just have never had that. Yeah. So what led you to taking in four children? Well, obviously I've worked with teens all my adult life. Yes. And I met these boys like I've met thousands of teens over my time. But from the very beginning, they were different in how they would not 
let me go. They, they, they come from some pretty rough backgrounds and their attachment to me was just different. So much so that, you know, I just, I noticed God was working. And so about six months before I got married, I really felt God telling, telling me very clearly, these boys need a parent more than they need a youth pastor. But even more before that, because I got married later in life, and when I said yes to marrying John, which was like this good decision, this right decision, this prayed for decision, this was, he was the right one to say yes to. The first people I told were my boys because they were, one, they were always with me. And really great to have a male, by the way, when I was with these boys so much. Again, it was just something going on here. So we told them first, and I was so excited because this is the one I said yes to. And they pulled me aside that night and said, I will never forget this. I said, we love John and all, but we think he'll be like every other stepfather and take you away from us. That is powerful. And that here, you know, my joyful moment, these are the first to hear, was like, wow, something's going on here and I've, I've got to pay attention to it. And so uh, we did. We all married John. We had a very different wedding ceremony and we all married John and we all love Jesus together and are figuring out how to heal. Sadly, two of them did end up in prison anyway. And now we are on over 20 years of prison with two of them. And then two of them are these fully functioning, wonderful adults giving me grandchildren. So it's, I just had one turn 40 two days ago. I, 40. So we've been together a very long time. This is, we have a very long story and God is restoring and redeeming all of it. Wow. And I'm thinking about, as you were talking about that, and at the beginning, I talked about loving through difficult circumstances. And it sounds like, I don't want to make assumptions, but it sounds like for you, loving them through their difficulties Although it's hard to watch them in the struggles that they've faced, the loving them has been the easy part. Yes. I mean, and, and just knowing this was God's direction and God brought them and just really following God's direction, having no idea. But in hindsight now, you know, I'm like, wow, we knew what we were doing, but we didn't know what we were doing, but we really did. And there's just so many things we can look back on and still, but it's much easier now. They're all kind of settled here. Um, although we still have two in prison, God was very faithful to lead us because we were so willing to follow this road, all because of love. They're just wonderful boys. I mean, they're men. They're my boys. They're just yeah. wonderful boys. And I, I saw it. I see it. I know they've committed some crimes. And that's, you know, that's a whole thing I have to wrestle with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But they're just beautiful boys. And they, they're just beautiful boys. You know, that brings up a really good point of wrestling with their choices, but they're beautiful boys that you love. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in tears. Um, because I think a lot of people, whether it's their children, whether it's their spouse, whether it's their parents, friends, that wrestling with people's choices that at times are destructive and hard, but to still love them. To consistently love through it all. And I'm thinking of these particular boys and that statement of he's going to be like all the other stepdads. Like that really is a powerful statement that we have lost 
because of other people and we don't want to lose you. And for you both, because it's you and John, of loving them, consistently loving them. And to you, they are always, always going to be your boys. That is powerful. You know, and of course, this comes with we could not allow them to make their bad decisions without consequences. Yeah, that's true. So, so this comes with, you know, they don't know unconditional love, but we had to unconditionally love them and give them consequences. Yes. Holy cow, that was just, yeah. And this is where in hindsight, we're like, wow, how did we know how to do this? But, you know, it was just blind trust in God and proceeding because could not give up the unconditional love, but they also needed to know there's choices. They have a choice. And then to let, let them go when they did not make the right choice. And again, here's another great point, because unconditional love, often people use enabling with unconditional love. Like they confuse that, that if unconditional love means I need to enable them, it means that they're going to live at my house and not ever work. And, you know, they're in their 20s and they're just going off and playing and well, uh, you know, I'm just loving them through this. No, that's called enabling. Yes. And there's a very big difference. And and there's a fine line of trying to stay on that of, I'm going to unconditionally love you, but I am not going to enable you in your destructive pattern and your destructive choices. And I think right now, maybe there's some listeners that are like, oh, there's a difference. Because that's hard. Yeah, that's hard to know. But enabling means that we stop them from experiencing the consequences of their choices. Unconditional love says we're going to love you through you walking through the consequences of your choices. As as a parent, you know, you just fear, you know, especially because my boys could have left me, you know. When the consequences came down, they just could have walked out. But the unconditional love is what drew them back every time. If we don't, if we enable more than we unconditionally love, you know, there's just damage being done. But that tough love, that unconditional love with the consequences is, I think, is what drew them back every time. Yeah. Well, and they wanted, they wanted boundaries. They wanted rules. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they kept coming back, because your boundaries and your rules were part of your love. So if we have boundaries and rules, it doesn't mean we're not loving. It means we are loving. Right. Yeah. Wow. So, Brenda, tell us about your fully restored story. Well, I have this brokenhearted life that's, you know, this loving teenagers. Come on. They always break your heart, right? <laughs> um, a life full of ministry and then raising these boys and getting married later in life. So there's all those dating stories. And then dating when you're in the ministry, you're doing local church ministry. There is a whole other brokenhearted, brave life story. Then learning the justice system and then learning the prison system. Things oh, I never thought I would be so up close with. Uh, learning about adverse childhood experiences syndrome. That'll break your heart. Learning how to speak unconditional love, like we just talked about. A lot of this is simply what life has brought me, but it is also the choices I have made to really trust God more every time. 
which generally leads to this brokenheartedness. It's where a big faith leads you. There's a 100% chance you're going to get your heart broken some, at some point. There's also a 100% chance God is going to restore you and redeem you every time. And so my fully restored story is trusting God every time for all, all of these decisions, you know, going into the ministry, going into the ministry young as a woman in the early 80s and moving across country. I grew up in Minnesota. I'm now in Washington, D.C. because God is, you know, these are just so many brave decisions. 100%, it's, it's hurt. 100% God is restored. But the second factor is, and my story is, is I have, I've always have had people who have carried me, the name of my book, on purpose, who have carried me, who I have known to live this kind of life. I have got to have people I can collapse into who can hear me out, who just sit with me when I do not have words. And I don't, don't give me a platitude. Don't give me a drive-by prayer because what I'm feeling right now, that doesn't hit it. I just need you to be with me. So I've been very intentional about people like this in my life through every stage of my life so that I can be supported, strengthened, and then continue on. I can't stop making these bigger, brave decisions, like starting a church in the middle of COVID when I've only been a youth pastor for 39 years. I mean, it was the next brave decision. My people pushed me. I trust my people. Yeah. And as you were talking about your people, I was thinking about with that, having that support system around you. And there's a big difference between people that sit with you and listen versus people that sit with you and are like Job's friends that give you their opinion. And I've had those seasons in my life of great struggle and great difficulty. And all I longed for was people to sit and listen and to cry with me and to support me, challenge me, but not to be like Job's friends who just strictly gave their opinion about what I was going through without listening. And it sounds like your people were the ones you were very strategic to put in your life because those drive-by prayers and those platitudes those are like Job's friends. Right. But it sounds like you had strategically had people in your life who were listeners, who sat with you, who cried with you, who mourned with you, who laughed with you, who held you, held you up like Moses in the battle, you know, and were on each side of you holding you up during the battle seasons instead of just saying enough to make themselves feel good, but exiting your life. Exactly. Oh, I could go so, so far on this. I've had both in my life. And yeah. when someone has distinguished themselves as not being afraid of my pain. Yes. Because I've made many brave decisions that have been painful, but I've gone in anyway because it's God's leading. So when someone distinguishes themselves as not being afraid of my pain, they're on my list, literally on my list. And then I got the others who will just give me that platitude is and that's because they don't want to enter into my pain. They want to be the hands of Jesus, but not feel my pain. Mm. And Jesus felt pain. He felt the people's pain. Exactly. And so I've learned to just roll my eyes and let them go, you know, in and out of my life as they wish and not share. You know, I mean, you just don't get that part of me because that drive-by prayer just does me no good. It, and especially when I'm in something, some trauma has happened, I'm already on edge. I mean, I've 
2015, one of my boys was a fugitive of the police for 22 days. And I am certain he is dead because why can't they find him? He's not a smart criminal. Any drive-by prayer during that time, because again, now understand, people don't know how to pray and how to be in that kind of pain with me. I mean, I understand this made the six o'clock news. So people could call me because, I mean, again, this is why I can share the story because it was on the six o'clock news. So it's, it's, he did this to me. It's public. I understand people don't know how to enter into that kind of pain because they've just, I've never touched that. Yeah. In, in my life, I made this choice in the early nineties with my boys to enter into this kind of pain. But the people who I had made on my, on my list were with me for those 22 days. And they were with me. I could not pray because to pray would make my mind wander. Where is he? God, where are you watching him? May the police find his dead body soon. I mean, this, this is, so I cannot pray because my mind is too overwhelmed. But my people on my list could pray on my behalf. And so then I could let go of that responsibility of prayer. You know, I know God can do supernatural intervention. So I needed prayers of the people to do that. But I could let go of my part of that because I knew my people who I had gathered before. Not that I knew my life would take this turn, but I had gathered them for this very moment so they could pray. So I could not pray. You know, what I'm thinking right now is of the friends of the man that lowered him down from the roof so Jesus could touch him and heal him. And those friends carried that friend. Those friends had the faith to walk that friend into their healing. And at times, my family will tease me because (laughs) when we're driving And if there's ever a close call, all I do is say, Jesus. And they'll ask me, why do you do that, mom? Or why do you do that? My husband will say, and I'm like, because I don't need to say anything else. (laughs) All I need to say is Jesus. And that alone encompasses all of the prayers. Like he knows, he knows exactly in the situation. I'm calling out to him and saying, help, help. So for you to not have the words And because if you do go there, if you do try to put words to your prayer, it scares you, it overwhelms you, it's places you don't want to allow your thoughts to go to, but your thoughts are there. And it's this whole struggle. But you had the friends who carried you, who found a way to bring you to Jesus, regardless of the obstacles. They took the roof. Well, we can't get in the building. All right, we're going to go up on the roof. We're going to open a hole and we're going to drop you down gently into the room so that Jesus can find you. And that's what they were doing with you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So how is, now we've talked about drive-by prayers and platitudes. How is oversharing really a numbing behavior? Oh boy. I just actually was doing some pastoral counseling yesterday and had to share about this because I've got this woman in my church going through some, you know, recovering from her trauma. And she was oversharing on Facebook. And for her, she was one, and this was what she was saying to me. I'm, instead of hiding in my shame and hiding the trauma that was happening, I'm able to speak it. And that was, and I'm helping, this is helping me to process it. And then, of course, getting the likes was also then giving her, you know, the, the, 
the dopamine push that, you know, look, look where my life has come. I can now say this stuff out loud and I'm getting endorsements and dopamine, which she didn't know what that was, but I was explaining that emotional push she's feeling when she's been emotionally shut down to get through the trauma. Right. And then she would, then she's like, but I'm also sharing my experience so that others can get out of their experience. Like this is her being responsible. And of course I got her in trouble with, with somebody who's involved in the party of the trauma. And she was, couldn't understand what was wrong about this, but for her, it was one other numbing behavior to help her cope through her trauma. And as I was sharing, I said, you need to, you do need to process at that moment of triggering, you do need to process, you need to find two to four friends and you need to, at that moment, excuse, excuse yourself from where you are, get on your phone, tell these two to four friends that, you know, what's going on so we can help you process. And you don't need to put that on Facebook and get these fake things because one, those, those likes are not really endorsing the growth that you're going through. When I say it to you, I'm giving you, this isn't an endorsement because I'm in the mud here with you. Yeah, it's relationship. Yes. And those others are not. So it, you're just getting fake stuff here, which is yeah. a behavior, right? And the second thing is, I said, when you come to me or, yeah, and you get some from other friends, you have to become dependent on me. And that shut her defensive mechanisms down because she didn't want to become dependent on somebody. Well, to put it on Facebook. Yeah. Do you, you see yeah. the difference? Yeah. And because as a counselor, one of my areas of my area of specialty is trauma and abuse. And for individuals that have experienced trauma and abuse, especially abuse, your boundary walls are taken down. And so to know what should come in and what should go out, they're not established because they've been taken down. And so people either overshare or they're closed up and they don't share anything. And so learning to establish those boundaries, and that's what you're teaching her. You're teaching her through relationship, through counsel that, hey, let's put some fences back up. Let's not share with everyone. So breaking the power of shame is about telling your story. But it's not about telling your story to everybody. Right. It's not about, you know, going down the street because basically Facebook is like you're walking down the street and you're just telling everyone, oh, hey, did you know this happened to me? Oh, oh hey, this happened. But we don't realize that what's, what we're doing on social media is we're just sharing it to everyone. So learning those healthy boundaries and learning who are the safe people that I can share my story with versus those unhealthy people. And then, like you said, there were some issues that happened. Was that an issue that you had or that's an issue that you've recognized? I've recognized. Um, okay. And I would, would like, love to share the story. From my church, I was at a church for 25 years and we had, and we still, I still meet with this group. We were a group of moms called Moose. We are mothers of offenders. And that's great. This is a small group nobody wants to join. But when we get together for our meetings, we share the stuff of the justice system and the prison system that nobody else knows, that nobody else can deal with. We can actually laugh about some of this just stuff that's just, oh, I'm so, I hate this stuff. But we can laugh about it. And this group of moms giving me the space to be seen, be heard, to process, to say how much I hate visitor rooms in the prison system, how much I hate them. And they're all going, yeah, me too, me too. 
And that gives me enough so that the rest of my life is more manageable. Yeah. I don't need to go into my church. Yeah. And share about being this tragic prison mom. Yeah. All absolutely. the people in my church. Yeah. There you go. That's I, it. I have people, they're enough. They hear it. I'm heard. I've processed. They understand. We laugh. I can laugh finally. And that's enough. That, that is really good. The mothers of offenders moves. I like that because that's an important group. I believe very strongly in small groups and um, support groups. And I think that that is a really good one to have. So, okay, Brenda, with your life experience, where God has brought you today as a pastor, what are two or three things that you can share with our listeners as they begin or are in the middle of their journey of healing? Uh, I was, I just want to, this is my, my life heartbeat is to just not be afraid of your pain. Yeah. Again, we're not exempt from pain. Christians are not exempt from pain. You know, John 16, 33 is the, like the go-to verse on that. And I, God has hardwired us for pain. So let's just take our broken, brave hearts and just walk through it. Romans 5, 3 through 5 is this beautiful progression of what to do with our pain. It just, you know, pain helps us to develop endurance. There's a tenacity muscle that you gain. I think, you know, if I didn't love teenagers in 1981, I would have not have, never have noticed my boys in, the ni- in 1991. You know, yeah. I, I, there's an endurance muscle that grew enough for me to say, I can love these kind of boys too. So this tenacity muscle just helps you go, okay, okay, okay. And then so we got pain goes to endurance. Endurance goes to strength of character. And there's a whole lot to be said about strength of character and when you're in pain, how you handle your pain. And then strength of character is what leads to hope that does not disappoint. So we've just gone full circle because in your pain, you're disappointed in God. You're disappointed in the circumstances. You're disappointed in the decisions that your boys make. You're disappointed in people who have hurt you and the disappointment where we can either sit in our pain or say, okay, here's a chance to grow my muscle with tenacity. And here's a chance to then find strength of character. Wait, and now I have hope. Hope means hang on, pain ends. This this is not forever. This is God coming extra close to me. This is my people showing me how faithful God is to me in very physical and tangible ways. And all of a sudden now I have hope. And so when in 2015, when something really tragic happens, my tenacity muscle is strong. My people are there. My hope is there, even in 22 days of not knowing where he was. So that's my big, that's my big one. You can see you almost hear me preaching on that one. Ah, second one is probably, you know, getting the right people around you and to do that before anything happens. I talk about finding your people where we also, but we also have some trust issues with people, you know, because we've been hurt. Life hurts. Again, it's just a part of what we get even as Christians. And sometimes it comes at, at the hand of people. Sadly, it comes at the hand of, of your church. Sometimes come to my church if you want it. We're hybrid. You can come online. But we still need to find those people. So here's just some wisdom that I share all the time in my church so that you can find your people. And there, there's five things Dr. Henry Cloud 
has given me that I, again, I just repeat these over and over and over again, but they're not me, they're Dr. Henry Cloud. Look for people's intent. You'll trust when you know that someone's motives are good. And, you know, you see someone's intent towards you as being good, put them on the list. Understanding, you'll trust when you feel someone understands you, put them on the list. Character, you'll trust when someone's character reveals traits such as honesty, love, compassion, mercy, courage, and patience, put them on the list. Capacity and ability, you'll trust when someone has the ability to do what you need them to do. Now, this is Dr. Cloud again, like for a surgeon, he knows how to perform the operation. So his capability and ability is there because he has it. So these people you're going to put on your list also have the capability and the ability to be this, this sitting with you type of friend who can carry your pain. And then the fifth one is, is a track record. Um, you can tell from their past behavior. And I just want to add a couple that I've added is people who are boundaried also need to be on this list. If you become my doormat, you will then lose compassion for me because you've lost your boundaries. Or if you're over caring for me, you likely also have lost your boundaries because you're probably over caring for other people at the same time for so many others. Then you're actually not being vulnerable enough to help me because you're trying to manage everything for the best outcome of you. This over caring is actually you trying to find your identity in my pain. My boundary person is that. So just just reminded me, I've got several friends I've known from the late, you know, the early 80s who have been walking with me my entire adult life. But they're often not the ones that actually sit with me in the darkest days. They are there for me. They're, you know, they're my consistency. They're my rocks. They're my, they know me before and after I was a pastor. They can, they tell me stuff, you know. But when those darkest days come, it's these people on the list that I've, I've made will sit with me. They're not often permanent relationships in my life. They're there for a season. And I've, I've grown to really value that. I don't, you know, I, I don't think, I don't take it as, wow, I am too much. I just think for this season, I noticed these people with these qualities. I put them on my list. I told them up front, my life is hard. I need people to pray when I cannot pray. Can you, will you be on my list? And then those people pray. And then there's like always one or two that will do the actual sitting with me bringing me the food, telling me the stuff I need to hear. Then a year or two, they're out of my life. That just is. All friendships have seasons and I just bless them as they go on. And they're not here for me for the next time. I just bless them and let them go on with their life. I don't know why. It's not personal. But in that moment, they rose up. They were Jesus with hands on for me. Hold my pain. They hold my memories. They're now not a part of my life. Bless them. They are my legacy. Those are just some really powerful, powerful things that you're sharing of just some tips. And in our last few seconds here that we have, how can people connect with you online? How can they purchase your book? Bravestir.com is where I share the story. My book is also, you can purchase it there. You can get the Kindle version through Amazon, but I want to encourage the soft cover version. My book is a lot of what I shared about today, um, but it's, it's not a thick book. It's got doodles in it. It's a short book because the pain is just enough. Um, it's just enough. But when you get the soft cover version, it comes with a matching card. Like I said, this, this book is full of doodles to help put 
pictures to the pain sometimes. It's got three pages of like what not to do with your friends. That right there is worth the price of the book. But you get this card that I wrote with it that I would like you guys to have and to give to one of your friends. And the card reads on the cover, it says, I wish I could take away your pain. I also promise not to tell you everything happens for a reason. And you open the card up and it says, I'm sorry this is happening to you. I'm not afraid of your pain. I won't have all of the answers. I will be here for you with coffee, snacks, and my not perfect wisdom. We will find God in this horrible thing together. Well, thank you, Brenda, for joining us today. Our show notes and all the links shared with us today can be found at my website, fullyrestored.love. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our shows. And I would so appreciate it if you would leave a rating as well on whatever platform you're listening to us on. You can go ahead and do that right now. I would love to stay connected with you and you can find me on both Instagram and on my Facebook page. Both of those are at author Kristen Klaus. I pray that this episode of Fully Restored Podcast ministered to you, encouraged you as you may be on this journey of loving someone in the midst of their unhealthy choices and how to find those healthy people to walk with you in this journey. And remember, friends, nothing or no one is beyond restoration with our Jesus.